When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Well, they've been battling. You know, there's some things they got to work on that, uh, you know, we need to finish a little bit better on some of the things. But, you know, for the most part, we're getting on the right people. We're getting good sets and hands and things like that. And now we got to stick with it. We're going to have to stick with it this week. You know, we can't, uh, if the ball happens to get pulled down, we have to be able to maintain and sustain our, our protection. Okay, that was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, Matthew Collar, and Judd Zulgad, now that I have my microphone properly turned up, are here at the Rosedale Mall. The first time I have ever been here, Rosedale Center Mall. Yeah, Rosedale Center. Okay, Rosedale Center. Can I call it the mall? I mean, this is definitely a mall. It's definitely a mall, yeah. There's no question about it. I think they prefer... Center because it sounds oh. it sounds more 2019. Oh, okay, but it's definitely a ball. I think they should spell it C E N T R E. Just you know, I love that for some Canadian and put a skating to, rink uh, in the middle of yes, it. Yes, you like yes, yes. That idea and move it to Canada. Uh, <laughs> we are here today. Um, promoting our score north mission for meals that we've been doing all week long we're live at rosedale center as part of um that which benefits union gospel mission twin cities the goal to raise money to buy meals and a new lease on life for twin cities homeless so if you happen to be at rosedale centre we are here and we're by what's around us here there's a kayak and what is the name of the store? Oh, Von Von Mauer. Von Mauer. Oh, yes, that's right. Because the I made I made the joke it. to Phil. That means um, twenty three million in German. Oh, okay. Get it, uh, Mauer. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Anyway. yeah, that's very good. Uh, all right. But so before we get into the football <laughs> and, talk, and you're on the St. Paul and, side, and so it's I even better. Never yeah. make that joke again. Uh, so here's here's what we're doing. Hope starts with a meal. So twenty nine dollars a week buys a week's worth of meals for a person in need. So just one hot meal uh, could be the launch pad to starting something that will lead to an education, gainful employment for someone in need. Uh, you can donate and transform lives. Uh, a couple of different ways you could call six five one. One six four seven five four three seven six four. I'm sorry, six five one six four seven five four three seven. Or if you didn't catch that because I said it poorly, you could visit the website scorenorth.com/slash/mission-for-meals, and you can also bid on our great sports experiences that we've been telling you about all week, including our Viker Vikings package. 
um, that is really up there cool. as well, which is very cool. That's a very cool. Four tickets. And you get plus, to meet Matthew Collar. Yes, you do. And Alex Boone. And you promised to be nice, right? Uh, well, I can't like promise anything for Alex Boone. at times. Sometimes. But you can be fine. Um, so, uh, anyway, bidding open until 8 o'clock tonight. Make sure you come by. See us. We've also got things that you can bid on that are right in front of us, like sports pictures and things like that. Really nice sports um, pictures. A too. signed jersey. I think that's by Car- Carl Eller. It is. That his jersey? Yep. Okay. Anthony so, Barr signed jersey as well. I so, yeah. yeah, very cool stuff. So, we have uh, a lot to get to, but right off the top, since Mike Zimmer was talking about offensive line and how the Vikings offensive line is going to match up with the Chicago Bears defense line we have brought on our expert um we had to reschedule yesterday but we have him today brandon thorne of the trench warfare podcast one of my favorite people out there also contributes to the athletic as well what's going on brandon hey madam i'm doing good and excited to be with you guys how you guys doing uh we are doing really well so here's the first question will kirk cousins um get killed by the chicago bears defense (laughs) Uh, honestly, I think, you know, there's probably a pretty decent chance of that happening. I, I know it <laughs> uh, is a game time decision. Uh, so that's interesting. That's going to really change things if that's the case. Um, so that's kind of contingent on that, I think. But really, I mean, I think it comes down to at least slowing down this rushing attack. And I think if the Bears can do that, you know, put a little bit more of the onus on Cousins' shoulders, then they can really get after the quarterback because they have a lot of, I think, advantageous individual matchups in this one. So, uh, strategically, Brandon, what is the best way if if you if you are the Vikings, what can they do, uh, especially in must pass situations, to provide Cousins with the most time possible? Who, because if Hicks plays, you could double team him, but then obviously Khalil Mack doesn't necessarily get d- double teamed. So, what sort of in your mind should be the thinking of if we have to protect Kirk? Here's how we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do when you have rushers coming from every angle now, especially with Leonard Floyd, you know, looking like a, a just a plus player overall. He definitely developed, I think, this season into a little bit more of a threat as a pass rusher. Um, and then, you know, with what Pagano does there, he, he runs a lot of different fronts, a lot of different looks. So it's it's just it's it's a tall task. Um, but I think if you you know if you want to focus on one guy, I think it probably should be Khalil Mack. Um, obviously, he's you know maybe the best edge presence in the NFL, definitely up in the top three year on year. So, you know, what you could do, I mean, definitely putting a tight end um, as much as you can to his side. Just the alignment alone may slow down his rush, just even if it's for a brief second. If you have a tight end release inside of him, um, that could just cause a little bit of a delay. Um, you could definitely try to slide protect a little bit to his side. I know that that's not as common as, Maybe some may think uh, that NFL teams do, but, um, you know, with a guy like Mack, it kind of warrants that, I think, a little bit, especially if you don't have, like, very good or better offensive tackles. Um, so you could definitely do that a little bit. Um, of course, running backs as much as you can, chip help, um, things like that. Uh, just any, you know, I think those few things you could do to just try to incorporate to Mack's side and then just, I mean, you know, it's going to come down to guys winning their matchups you know, honestly, because you could do that to Mac, but then with Floyd being a threat, Hicks, um, you know, and then the other interior defenders that they have that can really get push on the pocket, it's going to be a, a really tough test. Their, their running game, you know, obviously that's the way they're built, but they really have to, um, you know, they, they don't need to rush for 150 or, you know, plus, I think, in this game, but they definitely have to have some sort of an effective rushing attack to have a chance in this game. 
Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, Brandon, is the rushing game. It has been so successful for the Vikings, and it's not just Delvin Cook. I mean, Cook is an incredible talent. He's got amazing vision. I wrote about it at scorenorth.com, where you can go read that article about his intelligence and what a role that that plays in them uh, being able to be multiple in their schemes and use him as a pass protector and so forth. But, um, you know, I, I think that they have done a really impressive job scheming to the strengths of their offensive linemen and the run game. My my question is, can it work against a team that averages allowing just 3.1 yards per, per rush attempt? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough. If Josh Klein doesn't play, you know, I know we talked about him coming in, but he's, he's actually been pretty decent, I think, especially in the run game. Um, you know, they, they've, they've worked together pretty well up front. So to take out a starter going against potentially Akeem Hicks, that's, you know, I would say no at that point. Um, <laughs> now, you know, I just don't see how. You know, if I had to bet, you know, I'd go. I'd go with the Bears, especially because they're at home. And you know, I just, yeah, I just, it's going to be very, very tough. Um, but it's kind of up in the air right now because Klein and Hicks. Um, if Klein plays, Hicks doesn't. I think the chances go up pretty substantially of being able to succeed on the, you know, on the ground. But it's still going to be very tough because Eddie Goldman is a very, very good nose tackle. Um, and then, like I said, both the edge rushers are pretty good against the run. And you have really fast-flowing, instinctive linebackers behind them, good secondary. So, you know, it's just a great all-around defense. So, I mean, you know, I think this week is going to be well, – we're going to learn a lot about the Vikings this week um, because really the first three games, you know, granted the Packers are the one good defense that they were able to have success against the Raiders and Falcons, I don't think, you know, are, are definitely you know, not very good defenses. So this will be the best defenses they face so far on the road, division game. I mean, this is, you know, we're going to really learn a lot, I think. And I I would hedge towards Chicago um, slowing down this rushing attack pretty substantially, assuming Hicks plays. So uh, Josh Klein is out, by the way. This sounds really bad. Yeah, it does. It does. There's no spin. There's no lipstick that that we could possibly put on this pig that sounds really positive right now, you guys. No, it doesn't. It yeah, it would be really amazing bad. to see the rushing attack just maintain their success in this game. If they did that, I mean, I'm, it's going to be incredible. Like, uh, I think the you know you should start the buzz and the hype should you know increase and all that stuff after this game. But that's why I haven't been you know too too excited about this rushing attack as a whole just yet because you know the schedule is pretty tough. You know, in terms of defenses, I know the week after this you get kind of a break with the Giants, but. Right. After that, it's Philly, Detroit, Washington, you know. So, yeah, it's um, – but this week is, is really, I think, going to be sort of a turning point one way or the other for the Vikings. So, guys, which tight end should play then? If if this is going to be – Klein is out, uh, Dakota Dozier has to start at right guard, and now the uh, potential protection from keeping the tight end becomes more imperative, which Vikings tight end should play the most in this game – given the fact that that person, probably more importantly than catching passes and being an outlet, is going to have to block quite a bit to help out? Well, I mean, Kyle Rudolph, I haven't really... He, he's been playing this year, correct? I haven't really given he's been play, Yes. Yeah, but he's not a good blocker. Okay. Yeah, he really can't block that well, so... Yeah, yeah, okay. So I just wanted to make sure, see if he was playing. But yeah, um, Irv Smith, you know, definitely is a guy. That's what he was known for at Alabama. He's a good blocker. Um, and yeah, in a game like this, you know, but maybe even more two tight end looks. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the numbers on their twelve personnel numbers, but um, even two tight end looks. You know, honestly, even if you have Rudolph in line and just getting in the way a little bit 
of Mac or Floyd, you know, would, would probably be good enough. Um, and then as far as, you know, Irv Smith goes, I think that's more so in the run game. Um, you know, he could provide a little bit more help there as a blocker. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in a game like this, you want to have both those guys on the field as much as you can, I would think, because, you know, having that receiving threat from both guys, either on the opposite sides of the line of scrimmage or on the same side, I think that that could present a lot of problems for a defense. So, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to pick one, but I mean, just, you know, I think Herb Smith's a better blocker, so it makes sense to kind of feature him a little bit more, especially in the run game. Talking with uh, Brandon Thorne of the Trench Warfare Podcast, one of our favorite guys to bring on. Now, I, I got to ask you about Garrett Bradbury because this has been um, an, an argument on the internet uh, with people. I mean, there's uh, people who yeah. liked Bradbury coming out, who liked some of the things he's done, but of course, as we've mentioned on the show, his pro football focus grade's not promising, and uh, he's had some really tough tasks in the first few weeks in pass protection. But my thing on that, Brandon, is that doesn't really change. I mean, you have this week is going to be tough. You have Philadelphia comes up here eventually. Washington's no joke on the inside. I mean, it just it doesn't get easy. The, the lines are going to be tough. So if uh, he struggles in pass protection all year long, I mean, I don't think there's ever going to be a week where he says, aside from maybe the Giants, where he says like, oh, okay, well, this week he's going to dominate if he continues to play like he did in the first couple weeks. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, there's a lot of truth somewhere in the middle of, of this debate on Bradbury, and I think it's very important to to keep in mind the schedule, the, the level of competition that he's facing on the defensive front that he's going against, specifically nose tackles. Um, and while it's true that it doesn't really get easier, especially in this division, it's just important to qualify it with that because defensive lines are just much better than offensive lines right now. And on the interior, there's just – a lot of very good defensive tackles right now and not the same amount of very good offensive linemen. So when you're looking league-wide at a guy and how he's doing, I think just considering that just helps kind of paint a more accurate picture. But still, with that said, it's not to absolve him of all you know responsibility of having to play well or anything like that. It's just, you know, the first three weeks, um, you know, he's faced somewhat unique circumstances in Atlanta, Grady Jarrett, He's a guy who plays a lot of nose tackle, even though he's not the biggest guy. He's a very unique player, I think. He plays three technique, but he, he plays a lot of nose tackle. And somebody like Akeem Hicks doesn't really do that. Um, and then Kenny Clark is a guy who's pretty much strictly a nose tackle and, I, in my opinion, is the best in the game right now. So he's had very difficult matchups you know, the first couple weeks, but still I would like to see him stay on blocks longer. Um, he's fallen off blocks a little too quickly. Um, and, you know, part of that is, you know, his size and his strength or lack thereof. Um, you know, those things, he's not going to be able to really overcome that much, at least, you know, early on in his career, maybe over, you know, years, he can get bigger, stronger, things like that. He's really just going to have to work on his technique, you know, have being really tight and firm and strong with his hands re-leveraging his hands and trying to just mirror guys and at least stay in front of them and not just get thrown off too easily. Those things, I think, can be improved with time, while the strength and size thing is a little bit more of a long-term thing. Um, and then when you look at the rest of their schedule, I don't see a lot of dynamic nose tackles that are going to be really rushing the passer. I mean, there are some, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, this week, Eddie Goldman is going to be a very tough test. He's not the best pass rusher. He can provide push. But he's nothing like Kenny Parker, Grady Jarrett. He's just a stout run defender. And 
I mean, he's very powerful. So he pre- he presents his, his own challenge. And then you look at New York. I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson's a pretty good player. He's more of a run stopper. Minnesota, uh, excuse me, uh, Philadelphia. They, you know, a little weak at nose tackle right now. Um, Detroit obviously has snacks. Washington has very good interior guys. And then KC, I mean, they have Derek Nandi. Um, you know, and even uh, Dallas, they don't have a great nose tackle. Um, Denver doesn't have a great nose tackle. So, you know, there's going to be some opportunities here to where the schedule, I don't think, is, you know, kind of a murderer's row as where, you know, maybe as we've talked about in the past with uh, defensive tackles, especially for guards. I think guards have it harder, um, especially with their schedule. But so I think there's going to be an opportunity here to see over the course of the year Bradbury make some improvements and maybe gain a little bit of confidence and go against competition that isn't, you know, top of the line. Um, but this week in, in Chicago is going to be another really stiff test for him, especially as a run blocker um, going against Eddie Goldman. It's going to be it's going to be tough. I mean, nobody I don't really see anybody move Eddie Goldman off the ball. So he's going to have to figure out a, a way to use his quickness and his advantage and just get around him because I do not see him and either guard moving Eddie Goldman. So that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Who do you think's winning this one, Brandon? You don't have to save Minnesota because you're on Minnesota radio. Yeah, I, I got to go with Chicago in this one. Um, but I think it's going to be a very good game because uh, Mitch Trubisky, I think, is maybe one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Right now, I think that's kind of obvious. He's you know severely limited. And I think that's going to keep this game really, really, really tight. But I just think at the end of the day, it, assuming Akeem, Akeem Hicks plays, I think it's just going to be too much defense on their end to overcome, but I think it's going to be a tight game. The uh, very insightful Trench Warfare podcast. You can get extremely football-y with Brandon Thorne. You could follow him on Twitter as well. He does video breakdowns there at Brandon Thorne, T-H-O-R-N, NFL. Always great to uh, catch up with you, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate yep. it. For sure, and uh, make sure you check out his podcast. Really, really great. And, you know, what's funny is once you start getting into offensive line play, yep. then you see so much more uh, about the game and kind of how oh, it absolutely. works when you look at the details. He dropped so, the snacks, too. Uh, he did, I yes. love when guys drop just, hey, he's got snacks. We're going to talk with uh, Lawrence Holmes. He is in Chicago. I was on his show an hour ago. So I'm going to ask him the questions that he asked me when we come up next. We'll be right back. We are broadcasting from Rosedale Center here on Purple Daily here on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. And they're a little more aggressive this year than they have been in the past. A few more pressures on early downs. Um, you know, it, it's really the same every week. You got to get the point of attack block, and then you got to um, hope that you create some seams to cut the ball back. But uh, you know, if you if you don't do a good job at the point of attack, then you're struggling the rest of the play. 
All right, we are back here from Rosedale Center, Matthew Collar and Judd Zelgad for the next hour and a half or so, and then Mackie and Judd with Rami, so you get plenty of Rosedale Center here today. If you happen to stop by, say hello. We've also got plenty of things to bid on here as we continue our uh, mission for meals. Now I want to welcome in a guy who I haven't talked to in so long. It's been a long time (laughs) since we've caught up. Uh, Lawrence Holmes, 670, the score in Chicago. What's going on, Lawrence? Got, uh, hey, do we got you there, Lawrence? Oh, what's up, man? Yeah, I'm here. I was like, what just happened to you guys? I thought that Rami came through and pulled, like, something, pulled a cable out the way or something. <laughs> hey, when you see him, I haven't seen my guy in a while. In a while. Like, punch him right in the gut for me. Like, oh. right in the gut. Yeah, there, there's a lot less Rami gut. He stays uh, in better shape these days. He's very proud of that. So uh, I will harm him physically for you. I think it's not illegal yeah. if you do it for a friend. Why do you get to do that? I'm stronger. I have to work with him. That's why. Um, <laughs> How about that? So, uh, Lawrence, we were just talking about the uh, matchups here in the trenches as just feels great, right? Like Chicago's going to wear the old school uniforms, and it's Vikings and Bears, and we're talking about offensive and defensive lines. So the big question is, will the Bears' defensive line murder Kirk Cousins? Is that going to happen on Sunday? Well, what's really interesting about it is that Akeem Hicks has been walking around with a bad knee all week, and he, he suffered an injury against Washington. He has not practiced all week. He is listed as questionable. And ordinarily, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, I mean, they do have Eddie Goldman, and they have a good rotation and tackle. Bilal Nichols, who's kind of the backup at the position, broke his hand. He's in a cast. So it's possible that, that you could be seeing – the, the second and third team at that position, and maybe that opens up an opportunity for the Vikings to run. As far as the guys on the outside, Khalil Mack is amazing. He, he's only got three sacks, but he leads the league in pressures with 17. And that quote that Kirk Cousins had about him earlier this week, where he was talking about how even when, it, when he doesn't get to the quarterback, he changes the way a quarterback thinks about delivering the ball, that is... That, to me, lets you, lets you know that you are talking about a special player that is a game wrecker. So, yeah, the, the Bears are going to absolutely try to get pressure on them. But the one thing that they haven't really run up against yet is a great running offense. So I think that's where it's kind of an irresistible force meets immovable object. The Bears' defense and their defensive line has played pretty well so far. But they haven't come close to seeing an offense be able to run the ball the way the Vikings can. So if your life depended on this, Sunday's game, <laughs> you have to pick either Kirk Cousins or Mitch Trubisky. And the losing quarterback, you're done. So you've got to make the right decision. Lawrence, which one are you going to roll the dice of your life with? Oh, um, wow. I, here's why I'll go Mitch. Because he has something that Cousins doesn't, and that's the the ability to escape and make plays with his feet and sometimes use his feet to open up windows to throw the ball. I think as, as far as pure passing goes, Cousins is better, even though he makes mistakes. But if my life depends on it, I want as many options as possible. So I'll take Mitch. But as we talked about, as Matthew and I talked about on my show, we're talking about the Spider-Man meme of quarterbacks here. We're, we're talking about two guys that, 
they're in the same place. And it's so weird because I joked with, with Matthew that if, if people had just tuned in and not heard him say that he was talking about Kirk Cousins, they would have assumed he was talking about And I had five texters say, I'm that guy. I just <laughs> got in the car, and I heard him, and I thought he was talking about Mitchell Trubisky. Hmm. The fan bases are very simpatico when it comes to the way that their quarterbacks are drive. Talking with uh, Lawrence Holmes, 670 The Score. He's on from noon to 2 every day there. Uh, okay, well, so how much can Matt Nagy paint over the problems that Mitch Trubisky has? Because last year, I felt like Nagy did a great job, and he was being talked about as that young, fresh, hot coordinator, right? And he's got all the answers on offense. He's spreading it around, getting to his playmakers. But as we know, Lawrence, defenses always figure out these offenses in the long term. We even see Sean McVay having some troubles uh, having as explosive as an offense early in the season. So have teams started to figure out what Trubisky um, has for his shortcomings or what Nagy has for tendencies for his play calling? Or is it just a matter of Nagy making some more adjustments as he goes along? I, I think that now that there is, what, 20 games, he looks like, I think defenses have just one of the adjustments that we've seen this year is very different We talked about that week. Reason that Trubisky is, is not really run because keep using size against him. This is a good job. Sure that he doesn't get out of the pocket, and I keep wondering if at some point we're going to see that call some runs for him just to make sure that that's still a weapon and keep the defense honest. That's where I think that it's been the biggest change in the fact that, that now defenses know that they can take that part of Mitch's game away, and once they take that part of the game away, then you zone it up, and he struggles against zone. He still overthrows out. He still struggles in, in some of those moments where you're like, that's an open receiver. How did you miss him by five yards? <laughs> and then he comes up with amazing throws, like the throw to Taylor Gabriel in the end zone, where he's throw, he made that throw on the run. You know, that wasn't a pocket throw. He made that, like, almost one-legged. And to put it where he needed it to be, I thought was really, really impressive. So, yeah, I think the, the book is out now have a defense that's disciplined enough did we lose Lawrence I think we're oh he's still there sorry Lawrence you cut out for just a second there just for a second there you're back the other thing where the Vikings may actually they fit this mold is do you have a corner that can travel because Allen Robinson is Mitch's favorite target Mm -hmm. that's the guy that he wants to get the ball to and, and what we saw a couple of teams do already is say, all right, we'll zone it up, but we're going to have someone travel with Allen Robinson. And Mitchell Trubisky, if we do that, is he going to be able to adjust? And now you can take another one of his weapons away because Taylor Gabriel is out. He's still in the concussion protocol, and he's not going to play. So we'll see if, if, if the Vikings are able to, to look at this and say, here's a way that we can take away some more of Mitch's toys and make him as one-dimensional as possible. If things don't go well for Mitch, 
Uh, at home on Sunday in this game, Lawrence, how quickly uh, is there a prospect that that stadium could turn toxic too? Um, it already happened in the first game of the season, and, and the Bears have said that it affected them uh, against the Packers. Now, look, there was a lot of emotion tied to that game. It felt like the Super Bowl. The fact that it was opening night, it's the 100-year anniversary of the league. It's Bears. It's Packers. The NFL descended on the city that day, and it felt like uh, a, a bigger event than just the first game of the season. And at the second possession that they had, fans started to boo. <laughs> so I think that the level of patience with him is, is dwindling. I do think that the emotions were magnified because it was week one and the Packers and everything else. But I would, I, it would behoove the Bears to start out well offensively because you're probably going to have angry Bears fans sitting in the rain for that game. <laughs> And I'm not sure that they're going to put up with a lot of nonsense from the offense. All right, so last thing for you, Lawrence, here. The NFC North, I don't have any feeling after last night of where this thing's going to go because Matt LaFleur looks like he doesn't know how to coach the second half of football team, a uh, football game. He doesn't look like he knows how to call plays at the goal line um, or, uh, or really manage a game all that well. And I'm not sure that I believe the Packers are even as good as their 3-0 and start because the Vikings most certainly could have beaten them. The Bears and the Vikings have great teams, but plenty of questions at quarterback. Detroit has a better quarterback, but plenty of questions everywhere else, especially at the head coach, but they're still pretty good. I mean, how are you assessing this division early on, and, and how much could this game shape the way that this division goes? It's a huge game for the Bears. I mean, I, I know that they're, they're thinking about it in, what, Detroit's Kansas City, so they're probably going to lose uh, th- this weekend. But the Bears need this win. They, they need it for a lot of reasons. Their schedule gets really rough after the game in London, and, and so you'd like to go into that game at 3-1 and one, and then hopefully be 4-1 and one after that. I, I think that there is a – I think that the, the Vikings are legit. I know that there's problems on the offensive line. They're not as great in pass protection, but they are running the ball. And I love their defense because they have playmakers on every level of it. Aaron Rodgers is starting to get it offensively, and I think that's bad news for everybody in the NFC North. I don't think that the Packers' defense is as bad as it looked, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that the defense that we saw for the first three games is more, is more representative of who they are as a defense than what we saw last night. And I, no one trusts the Lions. No one. Right, no one in right. Detroit trusts them. Matthew Stafford doesn't trust them. The, most art, the guy who sings the stupid Lions song uh, on the field after touchdowns. That guy's great, them. Lawrence. So, <laughs> the Lions on the move. He's annoying, but he is great at what he does. So I still think it's the three teams, but I think for the Bears, this game becomes a huge statement. I think the Vikings will more easily bounce back if they lose than the Bears will. So here's uh, one issue I have. The Bears are going to go with their old school jersey. The Vikings are just, I don't know, going to bring the maybe the purple or I'm not sure, the purple pants and the white. Here's what I want, Lawrence. I want the Vikings to be white, white with the you know their usual helmet, but everything white. And the Bears have the white pants, the dark blue jerseys, the classics, not some goofy throwback. Can, can I get a good jersey matchup for this game? These are two of the all-timers. No, you can't, and it's funny. <laughs> no, I can't. The, the, the Bears debuted 
the, the that their Bears 100 gala back in the summer. And I don't know if they knew this, but there's a great Chicago historian, sports historian named Jack Silverstein, who wrote a story on Windy City Gridiron. And I, and I encourage anyone to, 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 that's interested in these uniforms to read his work on it. It turns out that those uniforms were during the time that black players weren't allowed to oh. play. There was a, a ban in the NFL on black players, and there's some question on how deeply George Hallis was involved with this. So I imagine that this will be one of the things that's talked about uh, during the game on Sunday because the Bears put out a video this week talking about that with George Hallis, uh, George McCaskey, George's grandson, talking about how this was a dark period in, in the NFL's history. So they may have, they may have accidentally put themselves in a terrible public relations <laughs> oh, man. Uh, mode by pulling out the 1936 jersey. So trust me, read Jack's piece. It's amazing. And, and I'm sure it's going to be a, a, a point of emphasis on the broadcast. Wow, I I was just I just didn't like the Vikings purple <laughs> pants. I I didn't I didn't know like we would go into deep depths of racism in the NFL, Lawrence. But uh, now I am very against your jerseys. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's a great place to end it. They look great, and Do the look good? players like they were they were part of the committee, and they said, "Look, we're we're very proud to be the first black players to wear these jerseys." But my goodness. It looks like the Bears may have stepped on it. Yeah, that's something that uh, they didn't need in their lives. Well, maybe that distraction will help the Vikings. Lawrence, always great to catch up with you, man. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Be well. That's uh, Lawrence Holmes, 670. The score he's on there every day, noon to 2. I did, you I did not expect there. that at all. I just no. I just don't like the white and the purple pants for the Vikings. I wish they would just go white and white like they had in the 90s. Yeah, they certainly could. Yeah. I actually haven't Throwback, seen, Matthew. I have not Throwback seen. Throwback purple jersey. I will give the Vikings credit for this, that as far as I know, they had the color rush one, and that was yeah, the Dallas game. was what it was. But uh, they don't have some goofy, crazy throwback, right? Like, that's not coming on me? No, no, because their their old school ones are fantastic. Oh, right, okay. They're I mean, not goofy. I, they're, they're far superior to but you know, Pitts, what Pittsburgh like. has the bumblebee. Oh, no, no, no. There's oh, no okay. There, there's no 1920s look. Our here. friend Derek James has sent me this jersey. That's what it looks like. Uh, it's got stripes on the helmet and stripes oh, okay. on the shoulder pads. And, uh, it's okay. It's not yeah, great. it looks looks collegiate to me. Check out it pictures of like Favre. In, two, in 2009, the Vikings wore throwbacks in a couple of home games, the old school purple. Check out those pictures. You will immediately wonder why the heck they don't wear those exact jerseys now. Yeah. There's a picture of uh, the purple people eaters in front of me here at Rosedale Center. And as far as elite uniforms, it just does not get much better than that. Why wouldn't you just go back to that look entirely? Yeah, that, that's fantastic. All right, let's uh, take a break here. Jonathan has written down some of his favorite games that he's looking at for the weekend. We've got lots to discuss, Bears and Vikings, including more on uh, the injury report and what it will mean to not have Josh Klein. And the Vikings offensive line goes into Chicago at less than 100%. And uh, just a reminder, the reason we're at Rosedale Center, part of our mission for meals here 
benefiting Union Gospel Mission. Come on down and check out all the things, including the picture that I referenced that you can auction uh, or that you can put in bids for. And uh, if you don't have a chance, you can donate by calling 651-647-5437. Or if you go to scorenorth.com slash mission for meals, you can uh, bid on any of our great sports experiences that we have up for auction. Vikings, Packers, Wild, Gophers, uh, lots, lots of cool stuff there. So that's scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. Our most exciting games of the weekend. When we return, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Time for the Score North download. Jonathan here with this hour's download. It's the final day of Purple Daily, so we're asking you over on Twitter, hit us up at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter, who you think will be the most important player for the Vikings this week against the Bears as they travel down to Chicago. Division rivals looking to get a win there to jump to near the top of the NFC North. Will it be Dalvin Cook? Will it be... One of the receivers who haven't gotten gotten a whole lot of play this season so far, Adam Thielen or Stefan Diggs. Let us know over at Score North on Twitter at SKOR North on Twitter. You can join Dan Terhar and myself this Sunday at 6 p.m. with pregame for Minnesota United and LAFC from Allianz Field. Pregame at 6 p.m. with kickoff at 6:30 p.m. right here on Score North on 1500 ScoreNorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Okay, so before Jonathan gives us his three favorite games of the weekend and we will discuss them, I just want to throw out a a tweet that I received from uh, JRM531, a listener to the show. And he says, I don't want to feed into your Aaron Rodgers is washed theory because all of you are afraid of Aaron being unbelievable and being wrong in case he's washed. I fear not. Because he looks washed. So uh, this person on Twitter says, Rodgers from the eye test, even mobility, pocket presence, and even leaking out a couple times doesn't seem the same as he has been in years past. And even though he had a really good game statistically, and oh my God, does Philadelphia's secondary stink. I mean, they've got no players left. Everyone's hurt. Craig James. We were talking about how... The Vikings didn't have any depth in their secondary, and the Eagles ran out a guy last night who was cut by the Vikings. Yep. So that's where Philadelphia is because of all of their injuries, and Rodgers put up big statistics. But just he really does not look the same as he used to. No, he doesn't, but I can't tell if that is, is him, if that is uh, play calling, which once their scripted plays are done, Matt LaFleur, I have no clue what you're doing now, but it's not working. A combination. I got a quick question for you. Historically, has a National Football League player ever been fined for a hit on his own teammate? (laughs) And if he hasn't, could Andrew Sandejo be the first? And and I'm talking potential. No, he was reckless. He was reckless in the way that if he had hit the opponent, he would have injured him. I'm talking potential one-game suspension for a guy for friendly fire. 
the way that he went into that hit was with his head completely down like he always does. And if he hit the opponent, he would have been sitting for a couple games, I think. Okay. With, with, with his past history of being suspended. And I saw that even Mike Wallace commented last night Sorry, on Andrew Sandejo. And it, that, I think it's one of the reasons the Vikings had to move on, aside from the fact that Anthony Harris is good, is that they just couldn't trust him to not get penalties. And I think that most players have figured that part of it out. No one knows the interference yet, but they know where the line gets drawn with personal yes. fouls and how you go in and lead with the crown of your helmet. And here's this guy who wore a hat that said, make football violent again. And he certainly did on his own teammate last night. He should be suspended for a game for that hit on his own teammate. It's hard to even disagree like I, that would be one of the most preposterous things ever by the nfl to suspend someone for hitting your own teammate but the way that he went into it was extremely reckless and dangerous and it's not surprising that someone got very seriously hurt what a i mean what a game last night it was like the old madden video game the ambulance used to come out on the field and yeah. run over players that's basically <laughs> that's basically that. what it was yeah the, <laughs> the funny part wasn't just the ambulance it was that it would run over the players who were in its way um but that's what it was like last night with the ambulance just coming out constantly. Um, all right, so we can talk a little more at the uh, top of the hour about that game last night and the pass interference penalties, and we'll try not to rage against them, but rather discuss how this should go. Because Mike Zimmer called the called it silly today in his press conference, and it's hard to uh, disagree. All right, give us your uh, your three games of the week here, Jonathan. You want some NFL music with this? Uh, yes. That's the answer mean. is always That was yes. an easy question to answer yes. there. All right, so let's start off with the game in Buffalo this weekend. New England at Buffalo. Both teams are 3-0. Buffalo has a pretty good defense, but the Patriots have what seems like a really good one. They haven't allowed a rushing or passing TD so far this season. The Patriots have some injuries they're working through, and we'll see just how far Josh Allen has come in in the second year. Also, will we see a certain object get thrown on the field in Buffalo? Oh, yes. Vegas is leaning oh, yes in the betting market. Yes. A thousand percent the answer is <laughs> Why yes. Why this game? I Someone did it years ago. Yeah. And, and it's been done every year. <laughs> then it became a tradition. But it's once a year, right? To throw a... Um, particular lewd item yep. onto the field. That you mentioned yes, on yesterday's broadcast. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's right. I did. Um, <laughs> oh, you did mention it yesterday? Oh, well, super awkward. You remember, you remember the uh, Anthony Harris, the joke that I made to Anthony oh, Harris in the locker room? Yeah, about your mom. You're <laughs> yeah, poor, you're poor. that's your right. Your mother's a saint. I know, she is. She didn't deserve that. But those are the things that they throw onto the field in the Buffalo-New England game. And last year, they had to, <laughs> and I'm sure they'll do it again, put out a press release saying, please do not throw... <clears throat> items, <laughs> certain things. Do you suppose like toss it, or do you suppose so- someone's like, "Oh, I'll just take that home." You set it down, and then it. Oh, you mean uh, the security? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's okay, right. I'll, I'll take it, that one. Just put it in your back pocket. <laughs> don't throw it away. I mean, they can't. I got it. They can't be super cheap. I don't know oh. what they cost, but they uh, <laughs> retail value. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, well. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? So I, I think that uh, in this game, the Bills will show themselves for who they really are. They've played the Jets, Eli Giants, and Bengals. Those might be three of the five worst teams in the NFL in their first three weeks to go 3-0. and I think they're in for some, uh, some Not like tough the times. Patriots have had real tough competition to begin the season No, no, either. it's true, Don't but they're also yourself. the Patriots. You're exactly right. Yeah. Patriots win. Patriots win by at least 10. Fair enough. Uh, the next game I'm looking forward to, Cleveland at Baltimore. Baker Mayfield hasn't been all that impressive this season. While Lamar Jackson has, he's thrown seven touchdowns, no interceptions, about eight, just over 800 yards passing this season. 
and he's been really fun to watch. Baltimore felt annoyed in the offseason with all the hype about Cleveland, despite the Ravens being the defending AFC North champs. So this is one to watch for in the AFC North. I think that Baltimore is a great football team, and even though last week Kansas City early in that game made them look bad, that's just what Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid do, and they'll probably win the Super Bowl, right? At least they're the extreme favorite at this moment. No, they'll get to the conference title game and, and then lose, lose to, the to New England. Yeah, and then New England. Because Eng- it's Andy Reid, and that's what he does, too. Right, and New England will spy on them or something with uh, <laughs> illegal videotape or whatever. Um, but uh, anyway, so they're an AFC championship team at worst. I, I don't think Baltimore is quite there, but uh, I think they're a really good team, and they've got a great shot to win that division, especially with Pittsburgh as bad as they are. And Cleveland, this is just not shocking that there would be some stumbling blocks. This happens every year where we hype up some team, look at all these things they did in the offseason, look how good they're going to be, and then it turns out it's harder in football to get to the top than you thought it was, especially when the guy calling the plays might not know what the hell he's doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't understand it. That's my biggest thing is, okay, Cleveland. You got Mayfield, who who is, I think, going to be a fine quarterback, but he's sort of a loose cannon type Mm -hmm. of guy, right? Then you go get Beckham. Okay, great receiver, loose cannon type of guy. And then you hire Freddie Kitchens because he could call plays to be the head coach. This is a team that desperately needs a stabilizing head coach. Freddie Kitchens ain't that. Beckham is a ticking time bomb. Baltimore wins, and... We are, I think we're within a couple weeks, if things continue to go south in Cleveland, Odell's going to blow up. Oh, I could definitely Odell see that. not getting the and ball last week at, at the end. I know. That and makes no sense. Somebody was pointing out on Twitter, I do not recall who, that Beckham was single coverage a number of times, and yeah. they couldn't find a way to get him the ball. Which is a bunch of BS. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's the, I don't know, top three receiver in the league and one of the best one-on-one. And you get him for that matchup. Yeah, right. You went and got him for that. Throwing the ball. All right, what's your third one, Jonathan? My third and final one, Dallas taking on New Orleans. Teddy Mm. starting at home against a really good Dallas side. How can he lead that offense at home, and how can Dak, Zeke, and Amari handle the New Orleans environment? Also, Teddy playing for, I would imagine, a contract. This would be a really good game to put on his resume towards his new team, saying, hey, I can lead a team in a big game. This is tough. Uh, now, the Superdome, I mean, you've been there. I have not ever been there Crazy. to cover a game. But, I mean, that's yeah. about as hard of an environment to play in as there exists in the NFL, probably tied with the Vikings at this point for just difficult places to play. So there is an advantage there for, for Teddy and the Saints. Um, but Dallas is legit, I think. I, I don't know how much longer Dak Prescott can put up crazy MVP type of numbers, but... Even if he doesn't, Ezekiel Elliott is back and great, and their offensive line looks good again, and their defense is totally legit. Talent all over the field. That's going to be a really tough one. I agree with you, Jonathan. If he, I mean, if he goes to Seattle and then he beats Dallas, I mean, New Orleans is going to be like, all right, let's just sign that long-term contract to make sure you stay here and Poor don't Zim. go anywhere else. Poor Zim. If that happens, Zim's going to be like, I don't even care about my team now. I just want my teddy back. <laughs> Give me my teddy back. Give me my teddy Give back. Give me my teddy back. No, I think Dallas wins. Dallas is uh, I do too. emerging again as, as a really good team. The Saints are good, and Teddy is certainly a nice guy to plug in when Breeze got hurt, but I think uh, Dallas overcomes the noise of that environment and wins. All right. Thank you very mm-hmm. much, uh, Jonathan. Let's take a break here. We're at Rosedale Center. 
And if you want to come on by, say hello to mostly Judd. Um, but we've got some great sports photographs here and different things. Signed jerseys, Anthony Barr, Carl Spider-Man. Eller. Jonathan would like yeah, that. Yeah, there is a, a nice Spider-Man. Spider-Man There's a new Spider-Man, right, Jonathan? Did that, was that announced today? Well, Spider-Man's back in the MCU. That was what was announced. So. Oh, what does he's that mean? Uh, he's basically in the, all the Marvel movies again. Instead oh, of Sony right. keeping him to themselves. Well, good for him. His contract holdout over. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's he's a, like Melvin that's Gordon. That's the sports way of putting it. His contract holdout he's is returned. over. Yeah. See, I liked, as a kid, Batman, Spider-Man. They had cartoons. You would come home after uh, school and watch the cartoons. They were, well. re- they were really good. I liked them. And a couple of the movies on each side have been good. But there are people like Jonathan who... Focus on the stuff like sports. Rami does uh, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, just what's being announced, what's coming out next, and I get a little lost in it. So, I uh, congratulations, Jonathan. A great day for you. <laughs> um, anyway, so if you come down to Rosedale Center, uh, we are outside of Von Mauer. I won't make the same joke I did earlier. And you can say hello to us. You can uh, bid on any of these pictures, and we're raising money for Score North's Mission for Meals for the uh, Union Gospel Mission. Make sure you go to scorenorth.com slash mission for meals and bid on any of our Minnesota sports experiences. scorenorth.com slash mission for meals. We'll be right back and... We, we have to discuss pass interference once again. We knew we would be here, Savage and we have to get it out of the way before we get back to Vikings and Bears. We will do that when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. <laughs> I was never for it in the beginning, but, you know, and I, I honestly, I didn't see the ones last night, so I can't comment on those. So they did send send me a tape uh, this week on all the ones that were challenged, and they're not overturning very many. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there commenting on last night's game. Uh, he said that he did not see the uh, pass interference debauchery in last night's game between the Eagles and the Green Bay Packers and I would say you are better for it Mike it was a very entertaining football game uh, there was lots of snark about Thursday night football like oh I guess you people who don't like Thursday night football are loving this game even though it's the one out of 16 yeah, per year that's actually good or two that are good uh, last year, a couple involving the Rams were good, but aside from that, mostly very bad. Last week was Tennessee and Jacksonville, so let's not pimp that home run uh, too much, I would say. But in that game, it was extremely impacted by whether referees decided they wanted to overturn something that was indeed obvious pass interference, whether to throw the flag on plays that were pass interference, the potential pass interference or holding at the end of the game, which cannot be reviewed, holding can't, but pass interference can, and apparently it was not a uh, penalty committed by Craig James at the end of the game to tip the ball to Nigel Bradham. Right, but holding can be called flagged immediately, and they and they didn't, didn't and do they that. missed it when he was grabbing the receiver. Right. But they couldn't go back and look at it to see if it was holding because you can look at interference, but you can't look at holding, which are pretty similar to spinning. most people. Uh, yeah, head spinning was the best way I could describe that last night, and I was very hopeful, Judd, that during the preseason they would get it all out of their system, that they would practice with these challenges. Zimmer tried it, Sean. 
Sean Payton tried it. Everybody, almost every game, coaches were like, okay, let me try out this pass interference review and challenges. And then they've overturned very few of them and sort of sent a clear message that it's got to be really, really obvious, right? And then last night, there's a challenge in a play in which a guy with his hand hits the wide receiver in the face and moves his chin strap up from his chin to his nose because he hit it with his hand as the ball was coming in the wide receiver's direction, Mm -hmm. and that was not clear and obvious enough to the referees. And you have made this point before, and I 100% agree with it, that what's making this all worse is Mike Pereira. All right, Mike, what do you think of what the refs did? Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Like, oh, he's great. now sending it to break. That's my favorite thing. Okay, that's a terrible call. Now let's go to break. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks, Mike. And, and so it's, it's incredible because we're being told by the NFL that it's now more accurate. You see, we're trying to avoid the thing that happened last year to the New Orleans Saints in their game against the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC Championship. We're trying to avoid that. So... We got the rules expert saying, oh, no, you're still screwing it up constantly. It's very frustrating. And I think Zimmer's point is right. And Zimmer said he would be very hesitant to throw the flag at any point because you just have no idea what they're going to do. And what we've reached is what's a catch territory. What's an interference? What's an OPI? What's a holding? We know what a catch is now, but we don't know what this is now. All right, so there's, there's so, so many tentacles off of everything that you just said, but I'd like to start here. <clears throat> you, you referred to the third quarter play that Matt LaFleur challenged, which was Maddox breaking up a play for Marquez Valdez-Scantling, yeah. okay? And you're right. He literally grabs him. He fronts him, first of all, which you can do, but I can't grab you before the ball gets there. Yeah. He does that. Now, that is as close to egregious as you can get. And my, my, the line I draw is egregious. It has to be Saints-Rams. But that comes really close to that. When you hit the guy in the face as the ball is coming, he really doesn't have a chance to catch it. So that's why the rule is there now. And then they come back and say, quote from the league, there is no clear and obvious evidence of a foul. Except for his chin strap being put on his nose. But but I will backtrack from even there to give you this. First half. I like football. I like to watch it. Now Jacksonville Same. Jacksonville Tennessee, okay, probably not. But Green still Bay watched. But Green Bay Philadelphia though is a good game. Yes. Like like you're giving me a good game. Thank you very much. It's Thursday night. I will watch this intently. And this and and listen, I don't care if you're a Packer fan or you're a Viking fan or you're a Bears fan. But I now say this without hyperbole. I'm afraid to watch Sunday's Vikings game because I'm afraid it won't be decided by players. And I will backtrack to the first half of last night's game, on which after nearly every play of significance, aside, I believe, from the kick return that swayed the game towards the Eagles, almost every big play, you essentially said, oh, there's a flag. Right. Is there going to be a penalty here? So forget the P.I. stuff. Let's start It's impacting every play. And then the last play of the game, when literally the guy is grabbed, and in real time you can see him struggling to get free, they're like, oh, no, we're not going to throw the flag on that one. Like, where where do I even start now? Yeah, I know. And it feels like that even when we're covering a game like 
um, you know, in Green Bay where there were all sorts of penalties that were being thrown. And that wasn't even more one of the more egregious games that we've seen so far this year. And the statistics that are being thrown out there, I think it was in the Cleveland Rams game. Where they're like, yeah, Cleveland has 18 penalties just last week or something. I mean, something crazy to leave the NFL. Like, okay, wait a minute. I mean, that that's just way too much. And now, like you said, every incompletion that gets thrown, we get 50 angles on it. Like, oh, well, did his hand get underneath his hand? Or and, like, in real time, these guys are hand fighting down the field, pushing and shoving, going back. But I think that the line should be pretty clear, like, know it when you see it type of thing. And when a guy gets hit in the face where the defender is making no turn or play on the ball whatsoever, that to me is pretty clear and obvious. But do they want more than that? Do they want an absolute mauling in order to overturn it? And then what you're going to have is, and I think there was one point where Doug Peterson held on to his flag where he probably could have gotten the call. But he decided not to throw the flag because he was like, ah, if you guys didn't overturn that, it's got to be a homicide out there. I played last night now, and, and and to be clear, I don't even fault the on-field officials now because I think they're so confused. I fault the league. But how about the play last night where Carson Wentz clearly fumbled as he went down to the ground, and the ground caused the fumble. It was just clear as day. Yeah. And the officials thought, we're not going to whistle this down just in case. We're going to allow the touchdown return. Because of the play in Los Angeles with the Saints. Exactly. But, like, where are we now? We're just chasing our tail every week. What what are we doing? And, And I don't even mind at times when you have conversations about referees or there's blown calls and we can discuss their impact on the direction of a season. I mean, I think about all the time. The no catch in 2017 for Adam Thielen in the end zone in Carolina. They go on to lose that game, and then they don't get the home field advantage. So they had to go to Philly as opposed to Philly coming there, and things would have been maybe different if it was in U.S. Bank Stadium. I think about how calls shape seasons all the time, and I've never had a huge problem in sports with calls going the wrong way. I mean, that's sports. It happens. Sometimes... And the ball goes off somebody's hand, and they get it wrong. And sometimes a guy's safe at first base. And I've always been okay with that. And then they start putting more and more and more replay in. You're like, okay, well, home runs, all right, I understand that. Or hockey goals, I get that. And then it's, no, no, now we're reviewing plays at first. Now we're reviewing slides into second base where the guy pops up and his foot goes goes a little bit. Right. And and it definitely has this crazy butterfly effect to the point where we're sitting here almost every game feeling bogged down. I mean, there were times last night where I felt very excited by what was going on because it was a lot of great plays and great players on that field, future Hall of Famers, Super Bowl champions. But then at the same time, you spend half of that game saying, well, if only they had overturned it, maybe it would be different. And they're trying to take it out of referees' hands, but they just put it in somebody else's hands to determine which way these games go. So it's not any different than it was before. And if I don't hear for the rest of this year Al Riveron's name oh, ever again. Alberto. But he's become God. It's like, let's go see what Al thinks. Right. And it's this constant. And the explanations well, are pathetic. And then we ex- saw that okay. in Green Bay. Explain the little this. explanations they tweet out are embarrassing. So explain this one to me. Speaking of week two at Green Bay. All right. Touchdown pass to Diggs. Nullified because upon further review in New York, they throw a flag on Delvin Cook. All right. So last night they throw a flag, and I do think that it was a poorly th- uh, thrown flag, 
on Zach Ertz on a touchdown for the Eagles. And then New York then says, no, no, that shouldn't be a flag, which I do agree with. It should be a touchdown. All right, so help me here. Why did you throw the flag in New York in week two? And I'm not saying this defending the Vikings. I'm just saying, so what constitutes, as you are looking for something on replay, which I don't think that you should be, what constitutes you throw the flag in New York in week two, but now you pick it up in week four? So here's a a very good question that someone asked me on Twitter last night. They said, now wait a minute. If the penalty flag took away the touchdown, then it was not a scoring play. And how did they review it in New York? It wasn't a scoring play. Because oh, I didn't even think of right? that. I mean, just... Mind blown. Right? Right? I was like, huh? oh, that's a pretty good point. That was not a scoring play that you reviewed because they didn't score. They threw a flag on someone. But then New York got to review it as opposed to the refs there. I don't know. I'd love to tell you exactly I wish I what. had an explanation. And this is the problem. I thought, and I will, be, uh, I will tell you I was guilty of this as well, after... That happened in uh, New Orleans. I wrote on our website and I said on the air, I think they need to do something here yes. because pass interference plays can be worth 50 yards. And if that, and they can determine games like that, but especially since it could be a, a penalty that entirely swings a football game with a 30 or 40 yard throw down the field and everything's happening so fast, they need to be able to review it. I think all anybody wanted was just a simple standard for that. Like, yep, if they throw the flag, you're going to look at it, and if it was there, then you call it, and that's all there is to it. But now it has to meet some type of bizarre threshold that none of us understands. But why are we looking for that penalty on replay of scoring plays? Well, I don't like, get, like, I don't like, get that just, either. Let's just go in That for I week, really don't get. So let's just go in for week five and take that take out. Take that out, yep. You're looking for the scoring play. And give the Did Vikings the their four more points. Yes, but, I, but that's one... That that's an unintended consequence that can be eliminated immediately. It's like baseball. Yep. You pop off second. If your foot is in the cylinder above the bag, we're no longer calling you out. Yeah. Now, if you slide over the bag, you pass the bag, you're yeah. tagged out, you are out. That's traditional. Yep. But the unintended consequence of the review of the scoring play to get uh, DPIs and, and OPIs in could vary. Al Riveron should not have any control of throwing a flag from the oh, control center 100%, in New York. 100%. Is that that tough? All I want from him is, okay, of course to look at if someone's feet were in or not. Because th- those things can be very hard in the, at the goal line. Is the ball over the threshold or not? Sure, I want that. That's similar to a home run. That's similar to the, um, the hockey goals where it's bodies flying around. It's very tough to see if the puck has crossed the uh, line or not. So, sure, it's a, it's a big game changer. I want you to look at that. I don't want you to scan the field for potential penalties Correct. or be taking away penalties, even though it wasn't a scoring play, and then well, I'm even more confused. And, and what's really, really stupid about the process is this. So you can get Dalvin Cook for essentially throwing a pick, all right? But it's a pick. It's a minor pick. It happens all the time. You can nail him for that. But you can't, because you technically can't look at holding, you can't get the Eagles defender last night who clearly right. Right. grabbed on for right. dear life. Right, so and my we, head is spinning. So, so, But that's if we can't get the calls right, then we just can't get them right. We yeah. only, again, all we should have said was we want to eliminate the egregious. Yeah, now... Or call the egregious. Last year, they got it together after... A bunch of calls that clearly impacted the season. Well, the Packers have a win in week two. Definitely. Against be, Minnesota. Right, Kirk because, Cousins throws a pick. Right, because he throws the interception. It's not taken back. And uh, a lot of other ones that I'm sure I don't remember. Um, 
But uh, I feel the same way about this, where that game last night was very clearly impacted on the uh, Valdez Scantling one. I mean, if that's a penalty and not, I don't know. I don't remember what happened the rest of the drive, but maybe it impacts how many points they ultimately uh, end up scoring, right? And yeah. maybe at the end of the season, it's one game difference between the Packers and Vikings for the division or the, the Packers and the Bears for the division. And so it's very frustrating to see the first four weeks of the season treated like a guinea pig where we're like, oh, well, I guess that didn't work, so we've got to... Like, I would have rather them said, you know what, we tried this in the preseason, we couldn't figure it out, we're going to do it next year. Right. And we're going we're gonna to go and put it in uh, the XFL or we're going to put it in some other leagues and try to work on it so we can perfect it so everyone has a good feel for it and then we're going to bring it back when we're ready to bring but it I back think, it's right but i think the spirit was and still is right yes just get it yes. right just get it right call the it's really not that hard the word egregious is not that hard but it it's as if the the officials on the field matthew have said you have and they're not wrong about this you have burdened us with so many bleeping rules we're just going to throw the flags the first half of that game last night was really it was fun, but it was it became a joke. Yep. Like yep. every time there's a big play, you are now saying, "I bet there's a flag." And I wish I could never hear from Mike Pereira ever again. I mean, I think he does a fine job on the broadcast. I just am so tired of. Well, let's bring in Mike Pereira and have him tell us that everyone is wrong. Still, like, come on, man. Like, I don't, nobody wants that. I want to think that at least the referees have it right. And then he comes in and always says they have it wrong. But he was a referee. He might have it wrong, too. I don't know. Then by the end of his little commentary, I have no idea what the call was supposed to be. And then I have stopped caring at that point. I mean, now if there's a challenge, I feel like I want to go walk the dog or do something else and then come back and pick it up where I and left what off. what do you challenge It's now? just awful. As, as far as potential PIs go, to Zim's point, what do you challenge? I mean, if Matt Lafleur challenged, that's play, where it the, becomes very hard. The play last night, and that was not overturned, and called a, a DPI on the Eagles. What the hell are you supposed to challenge? I, I know because let's say that Adam Thielen goes up for a fifty-fifty ball in the end zone, and there's pushing and there's a little hand fighting and whatever, and it's incomplete. Like, do you throw the flag? If it's, I mean. How egregious does it have to be? You have to ask yourself as the head coach of the football team. This is the thing. Like, I want head coaches to win football games based on game management decisions, which, Doug Peterson, you're just the best. And, uh, you know, uh, how they coach their team, how they scheme, how they play, not how they challenge calls. Who's good at challenging calls? I never wanted that for football. Zimmer has never been particularly great at it, by the way. And so now... He's supposed to ask himself, because of these pass interference rules, he's supposed to, on the sideline, go, was that a 7 out of 10 egregious? What? I don't know. Well, and as far as I And, and then I it costs you a timeout if you get it wrong, the, when they don't even know. The play that LaFleur didn't get last night, in my estimation, was at least an 8, if not a 9. If you showed me that on replay and said, would you challenge it? I would say, every time. And, and I'm a guy who wouldn't oh, challenge of course, much, yeah. But I'm a guy who would be like, I don't know about that. But if I saw a defender turn around and basically assault and accost my receiver and he's going up for the ball, I'd say, oh, yeah, challenge that. That's a perfect challenge. I know. I know. When a guy has his hand right but underneath the face mask, that should be pass interference, I think. The most, I don't know. The most diehard of fan, they are making it as tough as possible to remain engaged. Yep. They are because they have, they have overtaken the game with rules. And here's the worst part. 
they don't understand. Right. And just because you get people to watch doesn't mean that you're right about everything. Like we see every Friday morning, every Monday morning, oh, the NFL, a lot of people still watch it. We know. We get that. But do you really want to be doing this to all the people who are watching all the time to make it unwatchable for large portions of your product? Probably not. So they needed to figure this out. I think they've done it before in the future where they have figured things out when it comes to the penalties and most specifically uh, for the large part, the roughing the passer they have figured out. There are some that I've seen where I've been annoyed with, but for the most part, it's not every game all the time with the roughing the passer. If you bump into them, then you get a 15-yard well, and penalty. The body, and the body weight thing became, that was one of the dumbest yeah. things they ever did. Yep. And it's a, it is amazing to me that they can't figure these things out on the first go at it. Like, you... You thought that guys were really going to be able to like control how much of their weight falls on someone? Like, have you tried physics? Well, and and I admire the, the attempt in college and pro to get the head shots right because that's a big sure, deal. Yeah, people absolutely. are people are, are and you know their sixties then not remembering their families' names. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's a noble thing to get to try and get that right. But as far as landing on people, and as far as I mean the the Saints Rams. P.I. was so clear as day, and it was so awful yeah. that you said to yourself, well, this can't be that tough to get right. Right. And right. now they make it, but they always overcorrect, yep. and so they make it, way, exactly they make it way too difficult, and then, it beca- and then the game becomes no fun. All right, let's take a break. We will circle back now to Vikings and Bears. I didn't plan on ranting that long, but it, it, was, I it was required. You, I've got one question about being first and goal from, a, from the Hand one. off. Hand off I've got the ball. A, I, I just don't get that one. Just run the ball. I know, I know, but you throw four it's a, passes? It's one of the rare times where you should just hand it off. Like where it's a, just as efficient or more efficient of a play. So does LaFleur send in four passes? And at some point, why does no, Aaron say? No, because one of them was definitely an RPO. And there might have been several where he decided to check to a pass. All right, well then. You have to wonder with Rodgers all the time. There are sacks. You might that, not be wrong about there, him losing right, fast. There are sacks that he takes. There are decisions that he makes where you're like, really? Like, what were you thinking with that? And my theory is that he always did stuff like this, but he just made up for it with his athleticism and arm strength. And the arm strength is still good. Uh, I don't think it's as good as it was before. He doesn't run nearly. And he definitely doesn't run as much. I think that that was a huge, huge part of his success, and the injuries have taken their toll a little bit. So now, if he doesn't make a good decision at the line of scrimmage, which he... A surprising number of times he doesn't. No, you're right. Uh, and that, that's when he gets sacked. That's when he gets stripped or does what he did last night and throw a pick at the goal line. Uh, all right, let's uh, get back into Vikings and Bears. Uh, we haven't really talked about this much, but um, who do we think is going to win this game? I am flying out Sunday morning, and uh, I'll be there in Chicago. Oh, Sage, time. Sage Rosenfels. At... Yeah, I'll be I'll be there like ten in the morning. Oh, then you're fine. Okay. I've heard that uh, MSP is a bit of a problem these days, though. Uh, so I have yeah, to get there. Early. I heard it's not going quick anymore. Oh boy, a lot of construction. Oh, that's not great. So I'm gonna have to. And you're a stressed traveler anyway. No, I'm okay. Are you? Yeah, oh, I'm I actually, you, were you would be surprised. By uh, I, you're I, stressed by some I weird do things. have weird. So if I have very distinct goals that I need to accomplish. Okay. In busy places, I can do that pretty easily. Like at the fair, for example. I know when I get there exactly how it goes, the exact route to go, whatever. I know where I'm going, what I'm doing. I'm with you on that. But if it were just, hey, we're going to just wander around, then I would start to have uh, people getting in my way and people bumping into you and lots of people buzzing around. And if we started to say, well, should we go over there? Should we go over there? Then I would like start to get freaked a little out. 
But when I travel, I know I need to go to this gate at this time, this stadium, this exit. So structure, you're fine. Yeah, I can do it with that. But when it's it's a little hectic, that's where I struggle. Anyway, all right. uh, Just want to remind you, the reason that we are broadcasting today from Rosedale Center is uh, we are doing Score North Mission for Meals, benefiting the Union Gospel Mission for uh, Twin Cities. By the way, we've got a bunch of stuff that you can um, that you can uh, put money on and uh, donate uh, at mis- uh, scorenorth.com, Mission for Meals, including these crazy great sports experiences, Vikings, Packers, ticket package, a wild sweet experience with Judd, Gophers, Penn State game, uh, Wolves, Ryan Saunders greeting package, which is really cool, scorenorth.com slash Mission for Meals, and also here at Rosedale Center, got a bunch of very cool sports memorabilia things that are around us. We're right outside. Vaughn Maurer. Northeast corner. Uh, northeast corner. Okay, beautiful. And there's there's pictures and there's signed stuff, including Anthony Barr and Carl Eller jersey. So come on down, say hi to Judd, and, uh, and, and bid on these things because we're doing it for a very good cause. And you can also donate at 651-647-5437. That is 651-647-5437. We'll be right back. Back to Vikings and Bears when we return here on Purple Daily. Obviously, he's a great player. He plays with violence. He plays with explosion. And then, you know, he's got long arms and able to get to the, to the spot on the quarterback where he can he can cause those things. And, and he's a violent player. So, you know, those things are all really good attributes if you're a pass rusher. That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, Matthew Collar, and Judd Zolgad here from Rosedale Center for the show today. And uh, I think we've said everything in the world that could be said about Vikings and Bears because we started a week ago, thank you, Raiders, because there was nothing to break down from that game. So I got started on Monday breaking down this game. But you know what we haven't gotten to really, Judd? We've talked about O-line, D-line, how um, injuries could impact this game. Josh Klein is out. Akeem Hicks is a game-time decision. But they've still got really great players, Eddie Goldman, Khalil Mack, Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, they have a really, really great defense. And we've talked about whether Mitch Trubisky's any good, which team you'd rather be over the next five years. We've kind of covered it all. But the one thing we haven't really gotten to is if we think the Vikings are actually going to win this game. On Ventline today, I predicted a 17-14 Viking win. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. I have no feel for it. Yeah. I have no... The only thing that I am almost positive of is that one team will score a defensive touchdown. It, <laughs> it, it might be both teams, and I'm serious. Yeah. And, and Okay, let's, if, do, let's do that right one, now. They'll win, but I predicted 17-14. Let's, let's do that right now before I tell you what I think is going to happen. All right. Things that are guaranteed because it's Vikings-Bears in Soldier Field. I'm going to go with a missed field goal of the easier variety. So let's say under 45 yards, somebody shanking a field goal. Kicker's fault or weather? Oh, yeah, it could be, uh, it, could be it's weather. Gonna, it's supposed it's to rain. rain. Yeah, if it's yeah. going to rain, that might not be kicker fault. Um, but still, like, there's a guarantee every time you go to Chicago that something is going wrong with the kicking game. And even though they've only played one football game there so far this year, uh, you're still talking about Soldier Field. It's never good. It's always ugly with the turf and everything well, else. Well, the grass is awful, though. Yeah. You're definitely the talking park, about that. The park board does it. How many fumbles between the two teams? Ooh, uh, over under three and a half. 
It's going to be more than that if it's between, raining? Between the two teams? Could there be four fumbles? If it's raining over. Um, okay. Doesn't have to be lost, just fumbles. No, yeah, I'm trying to think, though. Who's going to fumble? Kirk wants. Trubisky will fumble. Trubisky wants. You know who I think might in, in this game just because of pure uh, touches? Delvin might. Yeah, he fumbled last year in Chicago. Delvin might, and, and I'm not even predicting blame. fumbles is like. Peak but the Vikings have Friday football co- conversation. But the Vikings have no choice but to run. Like Chicago's going to yeah. know they're going to yeah. run, and, and yeah. the Vikings have to counter by saying, "Yeah, you're right, we're going to run." Um, so that's three right there. Let's add in a fourth Bears run. Over on the fumbles. I think they're going to be. I think it's going to be an extremely sloppy football game that might remind us of some high school football games we've seen with like yeah. the Bears want to throw 3-yard passes all the time to their playmakers. The Vikings want to hand off to Delvin Cook constantly and then only take long shots down the field. Here's another thing though. Last year, Stefan Diggs was running wide open and it would have entirely changed the game if Kirk Cousins hit him. He I mean no one was around him. It would have been an easy touchdown. Does that happen this time around where we've got an angry Stephon Diggs by the end of this game? Or do you think that they are forced almost to work him the football? Like, does Kevin Stefanski know that his top wide receivers, and I don't think that Thielen could be much more thrilled either than Diggs. We've kind of put it on Diggs. But Thielen can't be pumped either. And neither can Kyle Rudolph. I mean, do you go into it if you're Kevin Stefanski and say, like, oh, boy, I've got my head coach saying, bleep those receivers. We're running the football. You got the great Bears defense. You got the struggling offensive line in pass protection. You got a bunch of receivers who want the ball. I mean, it's a really tough situation when you're, uh, when you're Kevin Stefanski, I, I think, because you've got a lot of different people pulling in a lot of different directions. How are you going to get them the ball? T- tell me that, and I'll answer your question. Okay, well, my first plan would be Adam Thielen slot. Use Irv Smith as an outside wide receiver if you have to. He can do that. He can run those routes. And make sure Adam Thielen gets slant opportunities, quick outs, usually off the line of scrimmage from the, sl- uh, from the slot. He is so good that very few nickel corners or people who are trying to shadow him, which doesn't happen a ton, can handle him. If they play zone defenses, he's great at finding space in the zones. Like, How about you get the guy like three or four quick throws from slants and things like that right off the bat? Like They think you're going to hand off to Delvin Cook a bunch of times, come out in the shotgun, throw a couple of quick passes to him. And I think with Diggs on the outside, especially if they play off coverage, being concerned about deep balls, Quick screens, get the football in his hands, and hit him on a deep ball early. It sounds great. Like right off the bat, like but, first play, okay. go deep to Stephon Diggs. I love the I love the thought process here, but if if you are thinking to yourself that this is the game to try to make those guys happy, it's the wrong game to do that. So I like I like the idea because it's gonna have to be slant. It's gonna have to be quick. It can't be you, if these if you tell Diggsy run the nine route, guess what? He ain't getting the football. Okay, so too let much. me let me counter that though. I mean, he is so good off the line of scrimmage. One of the big issues with deep passes can be for outside receivers if they get stuck at the line of scrimmage sure. because of press coverage. But Diggs does not struggle against press coverage. Remember in Philly last year where they called the deep ball when they were way backed up, yep. and we thought John DeFilippo was a great play caller at that point? Yep. It, I mean, it was brilliant. Just throw it. I think that was actually Thielen, but just throw it up because these guys can get off the line of scrimmage. You don't have to go one, two, three, four with the football for them to get deep. They get going pretty quick. All right, but, uh, but to uh, go back to what Lawrence said at the top of the show about Cousins' comment on Mac, here's my, here's my concern. 
the Bears, and I'm not surprised by this, but the Bears are already in Cousins' head. When Cousins, yeah, sure. when Kirk thinks Kirk's in trouble, so if we're talking about snap, bang, bang plays that can be accomplished, because Kirk can make those throws. That's the thing. Trubisky and Kirk can make really good throws yep. when they wing it and aren't thinking. Unfortunately for them, they both think a lot. So and so, but that's the problem. Diggs and Thielen are victims of the fact because they're still really good players. They're mm-hmm. awesome players, but they're victims of the fact that they're working with an, an offensive line that can't hold up for very long, and probably just as importantly or more so, a quarterback who, if he is in his own head, he's just lost. That's where I think you've got problems. I love the slant idea. I think if you try to to make this the game that we're going to tell Stefan he's important. It ends in disaster if you're the Vikings. Well, and it might end up great for Tiggs, but, but it's going to end up in disaster. But I see. I look at it like if you don't utilize two of the best weapons in the league in terms of throw, even just the quarterback ratings when they throw this their way. If the throws for the Vikings over the last three years had only gone to Thielen and Diggs, they would have had the best quarterback play in the league, basically. Which I know goes for a lot of the top receivers because they're top receivers, but their efficiency is very impressive when throwing in their direction. And if you don't find a way to have those efficient plays in your offense a lot to two of the best players in the entire NFL, then eventually you're going to get bogged down. Eventually they're going to slow down Delvin Cook where he isn't going to hit a 75-yard play. Think about in Green Bay, and I know that it's like, what if he didn't do this? But he did. But if he doesn't get the 75-yard touchdown... The rest of the day is like four yards a carry for Dalvin Cook. That's not carrying an offense. So if he doesn't hit the home run, then he can still drive your offensive success for sure, but you have to have things play off of that. You sure. have to be getting those guys the ball consistently. You don't against Oakland when you've already but I think it's, them. But I think it's slants and screens. And if you can drive the ball and every down once the in a while on hit on a deep ball, yeah. absolutely take three shots. I just think that if you if you drop Cousins back and say we're going to take I don't know let's say six shots I think three end up with sacks two of them end up with fumbles and and the guy that I think it might I, depend on how much the Bears are afraid of Delvin Cook I'll tell you one area where the Bears are worse it's defensive play caller Vic Fangio I think is a genius and. and I'm not sure they have that well, in that position anymore. If I'm the Vikings, the guy who I want to come up to me in the locker room post-game Sunday and say, what the hell happened is Kyle Rudolph. Because I'm almost eliminating him. Irv Smith, listen, Kyle's skill set doesn't fit my game plan. It doesn't. He's the guy I want. And you know what I'd it's say? It's almost like David Morgan would and you know what fit I do? better than oh, Kyle he would. Rudolph has he so would. far. My, my depth chart privately if it's in the if it's in Stefanski's drawer in Egan right now, Irv Smith for this game, Morgan Rudolph. Yeah, and yeah, if Morgan was not hurt, of course. No, but I'm saying if, yeah. if you had that, if he was healthy, if right. he was healthy, it'd be those things. Yeah, they need uh, a player like that who could block, and they don't have that, and that's where C.J. Ham is probably going to play a lot, and this is where their whole strategy is to have the bigger people in there and run play actions off of that. And you're going to need those people like C.J. Ham and Rudolph and Irv Smith to block. Irv Smith has been, to me, extremely impressive with his blocking for a rookie. When you see last year three tight ends who are rookies as the worst PFF blockers in the league and then him succeeding in the run blocking, that's really impressive. Um, but, I, you know, I think it, if they decided this week to – try to mix up how they use Delvin Cook, even to use him in the passing game more, 
and they tried to work the ball to Thielen and Diggs. I don't think that's a failing play. I think that that's a successful play a lot of the times. But sometimes in Chicago, you just have to be patient. I mean, remember the game where Case Keenum won it. They basically just had to wait out Trubisky that eventually he would throw the ball to Harrison Smith. They threw short passes. They hit a home run run. It seems like those things have to happen for this team. And then Dan Bailey's got to make some kicks. Um, And that is going to be an adventure. As long as Cole Quitt is holding for him, they'll they'll be absolutely fine. So I'll I'll give it to you now so we can wrap it up uh, just kind of um, lightly when we return. Is I think... I'm on the same page with you. I think the Vikings will win this something like 24-17. I do not have a whole lot of belief in Mitch Trubisky, but I do believe that after Mike Zimmer has seen Matt Nagy's offense twice, he's got a pretty good chance of shutting it down. I also think that that Soldier Field, especially if Trubisky gets off to a bad start, going toxic helps the Vikings in a huge way. Oh, absolutely. Because that crowd, that crowd that crowd's going to turn. Yep. And they, I think they're done, and it, it's probably premature, but it strikes me that they might be very close to being done with Trubisky. And if you're, you're at home, that's a big setback. And remember, it's 325 start, and we've seen oh, uh, yeah, what yeah. happens to fans when we were in Philadelphia for a 325 start once upon a time in, uh, what would that have been, January mm-hmm. of the year 2018. Beer cans are flying past your uh, car. Uh-huh. I'm not saying it's going to get violent. Usually... Um, Vikings and Bears fans get along pretty well, I think. But no, but they'll turn on their own. They'll turn on their own, right? Because right. they will have had a lot of time to think about it early in the <laughs> Is day. Is that what you call it? That's what I'm calling it. They'll have a lot As of a time. As a beer drinker, I don't call. Have, I don't call that thinking. To have had discussions with each other about the situation and then make a decided, rational decision to boo <laughs> the hell out of Mitch Trubisky, possibly if he doesn't play well. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll wrap up the week here, and then it's Mackie and Judd with Rami. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download as we head into the final segment this week of Purple Daily before Vikings Bears. Let's take a quick look at the final injury report before that game on Sunday. The Vikings are listing Josh Klein is out. He did not practice all week because of the concussion. Uh, Defensive back Mackenzie Alexander is questionable. He was limited Wednesday, but a full participant in practice Thursday and Friday. Kentrell Brothers is out as well for the Bears. Akeem Hicks. Defensive tackle for them, questionable despite not practicing all week. Kyle Long, offensive lineman for them, questionable. Did not practice Thursday and Friday, was a full full participant on Wednesday. And then Trey Burton is also questionable, was a full participant Wednesday and Thursday, but was limited on Friday. It's been 10 years since we all went on a ride with Brett Favre, and we're doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Viking season. You can join Sage Rosenfels, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolged, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind 2009 Vikings Edition. On demand right now, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, or just go to scorenorth.com and click on shows. That's Minnesota Sports Rewind. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, thank you very much, Jonathan. Just one more reminder that we are here, and uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami will be as well, at Rosedale Center. And the reason is for our Score North Mission for Meals, we're benefiting U- uh, Union Gospel Mission Twin Cities and the goal raising money to buy meals and a new lease on life for Twin Cities homeless. So if you want to donate, go to scorenorth.com slash mission for meals or dial 651 651- 
647-5437 and also go bid on our Minnesota sports experiences or bid on the cool items that are sitting in front of us including a Anthony Barr signed jersey, Carl Eller signed jersey and some very cool photographs of uh, Minnesota sports and other things that are in front of us. All right. Let me ask you this uh, Judd. So let's say the Minnesota Vikings win this game. That will be the first quarter of the season, and they will be a 3-1 and one football squad. If they win, let's just even say in fairly decided fashion, let's say they win by my score of 24-17. It's ugly, but it was going to be, and they won the way they win. Let's say Kirk throws for 210 yards, and Delvin runs for 110, and you, you get a couple of sacks on Trubisky, a pick six or something, and that's how you win as the Vikings. You win your way. Where will we rank them in the NFL? Will we think that they are back to Super Bowl contender? After you had declared them after week two, which is the most Zolgadian thing to ever happen, you had declared them not a Super Bowl contender anymore. Change your expectations, happy folks. Playoffs. Yep. What about 3-1? and one? What would 3-1 and one mean to the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, it would be impressive, but I still could not call them a Super Bowl contender based on the fact that I would need to see more. Because the scenario that you outlined there, Matthew, still doesn't have the quarterback doing ordinary quarterback things. He's still very much relying on on elements around him to prop him up, which I think ultimately he's going to have to do. Uh, now, the good thing is I think the conference is pretty jumbled. So it's not like I look at the conference and say, well, they're the Patriots, they're the Chiefs, and everybody else uh, is hoping for third or below that. So it would be an impressive win. It would come under your score still largely from a defense that we know to be good and Dalvin Cook. But I would still I would still say that at the end of Sunday, if what you just said happens, I'm going to hold by the fact that I still don't have a great hold on this division. I can't tell you exactly what I think. Uh, it would be an impressive win, but I would not be back on the this is a Super Bowl team yet. So just looking at the schedule, what really strikes me is it isn't just huge for the NFC North, which of course it always is when you play an NFC North opponent. It's just kind of huge for the general feeling of the season as we go forward. If you lose this game and it's 2-2 two and two and both games are lost in the NFC North, that hurts your chances later on, for one. Sure. And it also changes the way you feel about a lot of things going forward. So, for example, if you lose to Chicago and you're 2-2, two and two, and then you go play the Giants and you beat the tar out of them because that's what they usually do to rookie quarterbacks and the Giants' defense is horrible. We're going to look at that very similar to the Raiders game and be like, congratulations, you beat an abysmal Giants team with a rookie quarterback. Good for you. Uh, and then it'll be Philly. And instead of feeling like, yeah, they should really run Philly out of the building. Philly's overrated. Uh, they're not as good as I thought they were going to be, at least so far. I thought that Philly was going to be... Maybe the best team in the NFL. They're definitely not that right now. Um, even though they got that win last night, they have some big holes, especially in their secondary. They're very well coached. Yeah, they are. No, there's no question. And their quarterback is good. But I would say that they're not quite to the level that I thought they were going to be, and Green Bay kind of gave them that game in a number of different ways last night. And then you've got Detroit, and then you've got Washington. I think that if they if they lose this game, we're going to be saying, you know what, the next time you really have to show us something is Kansas City and Dallas, those back-to-back road games. 
and everything else in between, you better win to just prove to us that you're even halfway legit. If they win this game, you can absolutely beat the Giants. Philly will be a, a good game, I think, here, but you can definitely beat them. You could definitely beat Detroit. You could definitely beat Washington. I mean, you could win all of the games before Kansas City and Dallas, and then it becomes less important that you get both of those. I think that it's weird, but like this game has a huge effect down the road on how we view the Kansas City, Dallas, and then bye week, and then Seattle, that really, really difficult stretch. Yes, yeah, and, and also, this game to me is important from an eye test. If you lose 17-14, and yet it's a hard-fought game, and the defenses play really well, and the Vikings don't collapse. I'm going to say, okay, you lost. That's not great. But at least, you know what? You look, you look tough. Zim always talks about that, right? I like my teams. My teams are tough. My teams aren't soft, blah, blah, blah. This is a game where we can sort of decide that. The end of the Green Bay game, that, that was sort of soft. I mean, oh, there, yeah. Yeah. There, were, there were things where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not great. Well, yeah, so, I mean, the, inter- the interception and then the subsequent drive where they couldn't get anything going, it made you think, okay. And you had one uh, bad quarter, two, gave up the Right, early on, points. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you to, can be touched. So you to, can be beaten. So to me, win or lose, this game's going to go a long way towards me saying, the Vikings lost, but they're, they're worth investing yourself in or... Oh, boy, that's not good. Because if you come out and Cousins get steamrolled and the offensive line, which is going to have a very tough test, looks pathetic, and the defense gives up a couple scores, my view is going to say, to your point, okay, you went to Green Bay and Chicago, and you really showed me nothing. Mm Because the Green Bay game, the Green Bay Packers against the Eagles and the Vikings at home basically said, take the game. And the Vikings were like, oh, no, we can't do that. And Philadelphia said, oh, okay, we'll be happy to take it from you. So show me something. So just final comment here before we wrap up for me. I know that we uh, do get accused sometimes of talking about the quarterback too much in a football show, which I think, you know, makes a lot of sense. I've always said talk about the safeties. Uh, (laughs) Rashad Hill, the swing tackle, has been really good in practice, I'm sure. So anyway, um, I, I love Rashad. He's a great guy. But this one for Cousins is, I think enormous not from the win-loss perspective because you could come back from this with their schedule you could set yourself up mid-season to a hundred percent be in the playoffs the division might go the opposite way from what we think people might get hurt you never know how it's going to play out week four does not determine a season two and two wouldn't be a disaster Mm -hmm. considering you had a tough schedule over the first four weeks two times on the road in the nfc north but It's not just the feeling with fans, the feeling inside the building about the quarterback. If you go four weeks into a season, lose two games where the quarterback does not show, and especially chokes in big situations, then coming off last year, everyone is going to be looking around saying, we're great. It's this guy who's not pulling his end of the bargain. And people start to say that. Yep. If you win, they shut up. Yep, exactly. So I think he has to... Not only like shut up the critics, but I think he's got to prove to people that he can be the reason that they won. Not, oh, we won with defense, not we won with running, but a big game won because of your quarterback, which is kind of usually how it works in the NFL. Mm-hmm. All right, it was a fun week. I'm headed to Chicago. I'm just glad Oakland's done. Let me get some pizza. Thank o- God. Yeah, Oakland thank God week Oakland's is over. Done. All right, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next from Rosedale Center. Make sure you come down and say hello. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, 
or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.